0: human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I want to talk to you today about parenting. Now having dropped that word, it's very possible that 90% of you just checked out. Because you don't have kids, or you're not interested in the topic, or you're around kids so much that you're tired of it, or you're you're tired of being around people who talk about kids all the time or you're an empty nester, you've been there, done that, or on top of that, you're very much under the stress of what I saw in the Wall Street Journal recently, and that is that it will cost over $240,000 to raise someone born in 2013 to age 18. That means that three-year-old that's stressing you out, they're going to cost you almost a quarter of a million dollars. What a way to look at that child. And I, to be fair, anytime I hear parenting sermons, my eyes glaze over. They absolutely glaze over. I mean, I, I just do not like parenting sermons. And I think I can count on one hand the number of times that I've spoken on parenting in the over 26 years that I've been here. So I want to be honest with you that I too don't have a real uh, interest in, in parenting sermons. So it is possible that 90% of you will check out and the other 10% will be looking for Pokemon in the room. <laughs> yeah, I did hear that too, that uh, I wouldn't even go there. It's like, you know, like uh, bring it in. Um, so what I, what I want to do this morning is I'm simply going to invite you to give me a hearing on this topic, and here's why. Because I want to use parenting as a case study for how we might allow God's kingdom to shape the way that we live in all other spheres of life. Okay. So whether it's work or friendships or marriage or dating or sex, I want to use, I want to use this as a, as a case study that might prompt you to think about the way that we might allow the kingdom of God to shape us in all other areas of life. In other words, by looking at one area, it might help us to look at other areas. It's for those of you who are new to Grace, we're in a series called Living in God's Kingdom. And Basically, what we're attempting to do is to understand how the kingdom of God can shape the way that we live, because the kingdom of God is central to the storyline of the Bible and it's central to understanding who Jesus is. In Mark 1: 14: 15, Jesus comes on the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And so Jesus says, this is what I'm about, is the kingdom of God. And we see, we've seen in previous times together as we've been looking at this, that the kingdom of God is about heaven and earth finally coming back together under the governance of God. It means that there is a time that, in which everything is going to come back under the governance of God in totality. But that has begun in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's what the scripture reveals to us. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking about how that addresses the chaos that we're seemingly experiencing on a weekly basis, almost on a daily basis at times now. And with all the chaos that's erupting in our world, unless you just basically bury yourself in some kind of binge TV series you have to be hit by it. I was especially hit by this this most recent one, the, the, the one in Nice, when those scenes and the images and, and just the, the horror of families being just, their vacations just broken by death and destruction and, and lifelong trauma from now on because of that one event. And I thought to myself, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. You're, you're supposed to be able to go on vacation and not have you know not have loved ones run over by a, by a truck from some terrorist and so that for those of us who are followers of Jesus should cause us to say may your kingdom come it should cause us to cry out for this time when the fullness of god's governance will will come into being and things will be the way they're supposed to be. And we see that in Genesis and we see that in Revelation. So the Bible is bookended by this vision of God governing the world and for things flourishing as a result of his governance. So my focus today is simply, what does it look like to live in God's kingdom? Not simply have information about it. just a couple of qualifications. I'm not simply talking to biological parents or to foster adopt parents, namely people with kids in the home. I'm talking to anyone who might have opportunity to influence the life of a child. So if you're a teacher, I'm talking to you. If you're someone who's involved in our children's ministry, I'm talking to you. If you're someone who's involved in our youth ministry, I'm talking to you. If you're someone who's a, uh, who has nieces, nephews, if you're a grandparent, you get the gist? I, I think of, I was thinking about a, a person who's connected to our family, Kurt Simonson. Kurt has been a, a real long time friend of my oldest son, And when my oldest son got married um, and then had their first child, they didn't, like, push Kurt out and say, sorry, you have no more relevance to our lives. Instead, what they did was they brought Kurt in and they really incorporated him into the fabric of their life. Kurt has become an uncle to, to my grandson. My grandson doesn't know that Kurt's not related yet. And... And it doesn't really matter because he responds to Kurt like he responds to any of us who spend a lot of time and invest in his life. Kurt has been woven into the fabric and he's shaping this young boy's life along with the rest of us. I think it's a beautiful thing. So you don't have to be a biological, you don't have to have a biological connection to be connected to a family and to be involved or be connected to kids and be involved in shaping their lives. So I'm talking to everyone today. And I'm sharing how the kingdom of God has shaped my thinking on parenting. So I'm not giving you the Christian way. Because there is no Christian way of parenting, because the Bible's not a manual about parenting. Anybody that tells you that it is doesn't know what they're talking about. Saying that raises a larger issue of how we interpret the Bible and what the Bible is intended to communicate. And I will say this, that any specific text needs to be read in the larger context of the entire story of the Bible, and specifically how the Bible answers two key questions. First is, who is God? And the second is, what is a human being? And the Bible consistently answers those two key questions. And that's why I had Psalm 8 read for you this morning, because it addresses those two questions. So having said that, I want to start with a global statement. And it's a global statement about God and Jesus and humanity. So I want to invite you to turn to Colossians 1 this morning. That's page 983 in the blue Bibles underneath your seat. If you'd like to pull out a Bible and look at it, Colossians 1, and I'll be reading verses 15 to 20. And basically, I'm using that as my, my base text this morning. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's speaking about Jesus, and it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, this is Paul's way of speaking about the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the kingdom of God, but the language of the kingdom of God is primarily used by the gospel writers. So, when you come to Paul and you try to, if you look up in your concordance, kingdom of God, you're not going to find Paul using it, but Paul uses other words to talk about the kingdom of God. Here, Paul is talking about the kingdom of God. And the good news that he's proclaiming is that God is reclaiming the world in Jesus. The kingdom of God is about God reclaiming the world to himself. And here, Paul says in Colossians 1 that God is reclaiming the world in Jesus. And that means that the world belongs to God. And that echoes the the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, where we see that God is revealed as the creator of all. We see human beings as revealed as being designed for relationship with God. They're made in his image. They're designed to partner with him in the world. That's how the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and 2. And Paul is picking up that echo of Genesis 1 and 2. And he's pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus is the one who is bringing this all together and making this possible. And so we discover who we are and how to live with a cause bigger than ourselves by living in right relationship to God. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom is about Jesus. So if someone asks you, what is it that you guys are about? What is the good news that you have to share? What, you know, you're looking around at the world's religions and you're seeing destruction, you're seeing, you're seeing just hopelessness. What is it that you all have that is different? You Christians. And my answer is Jesus. Jesus. In Jesus God came into this world in a human body to deal with the shame and the guilt and the alienation, the broken relationships that are caused by sin, whether our own or indirectly the sin that's created by others around us. So, having said that, how might this inform parenting? Having establish that base text and this reality of who Jesus is and what God is doing in the world how might this inform parenting well it answers the question who do these children belong to who do these children belong to have you ever been in an event where there's a whole bunch of parents there with young kids and the kids are running around and there's always one kid that is just like the Tasmanian devil and the kid is just running loose and, and just running through the house and bouncing on the beds and bouncing on the couches and just helping themselves to the pantry and whatever food's available and you know, going up the refrigerator and pressing the water and just letting it run and just stuff like I mean I've seen that kind of stuff happen in, in these kind type of gatherings. And so for all the other parents, the parents that are not the parents of the Tasmanian devil, they're standing around, and internally they're having processing, and that processing usually is what? That's not my child, (laughs) right? That's not my child. And and the basic, the the, the meta-narrative to that is, if that were my child, if that child belonged to me, I would address that behavior. (laughs) At least that's always what I said to myself. I would address that behavior. In other words, ownership determines both responsibility, and the response to the child. So here's my question. What if the child belongs to God? Not just the Tasmanian devil, but the ones that are in your home, the ones that you're around with whom you might have influence in their life. What if the child belongs to God? How might that affect someone's approach to parenting? Well, I think it can do several things. It can prompt an important question, and it is this. If they ultimately belong to God, then what is my role? If they ultimately belong to God, then that raises the question, what is my role? And it can change the parenting agenda from what I want for my kids to what does God want? And I think it can lead to healthy differentiation, and that's where you get into this differentiation evokes the language of family systems. And and that involves knowing who I am in relationship to each child at any given time of life, knowing who I am in relationship to the child in terms of the various stages of life. In in family systems thinking, there's basically two poles, two extremes that people oftentimes end up at. And the first is, is to be too close to the child, and that's what they call enmeshment. And there's no real boundaries, and that's where the, where the parent is, their identity is so closely linked to the child that there's no real space between them. Their whole identity is caught up in the child, and that's, that's someone who's enmeshed. On the other pole is to be detached. It's, it's to be too distant from the child where there's no real emotional connection. And both of those poles are damaging to, to family relationships and, and relationships to, to, to people in general, but also to children. And so the question for a differentiated person is, do I know who I am in relationship to this person? And for a differentiated person, it's, it's this realization that I don't derive my identity from my child, whether from their successes or their failures, you want to find out if, whether you're, how well differentiated you are? I'm talking to parents now. What happens when your child succeeds and what happens when they fail? What happens to you? But this can also affect the level of anxiety in parenting as well because re- realizing that they belong to God and that the question is what is, it, what is it that God wants to do in their life, it, it shifts the agenda And it shifts the anxiety that my kids don't exist to fulfill my dreams, to make me happy or to make me feel successful in life. So you see, the gospel of the kingdom tells me that every child belongs to God. Every child has been made in the image of God and every child is designed to experience the fullness of life in relationship to God. And they're hardwired for cause. And that cause is to represent God in the world and to bring healing and to bring life to this world. And my role is simply to point them toward this, to show them what God is like, and how do I do that? By helping them know Jesus. So one of the biggest aha moments, and this is the aha moment not only from this week, but for me as a parent, um, and in this whole topic of parenting, the biggest aha, aha, aha moment is this, that parenting changes to discipling. When this is in play, all the stuff I've been talking about, parenting changes to discipling. And yes, language reflects self-understanding. The language you and I use reflects our self-understanding, and that in turn shapes our responses and the roles that we play. See, we're all disciples of someone. Someone is influencing your life, and someone is influencing my life. This week, someone influenced your life, and someone influenced my life. We're all disciples of someone or something. And the same thing is true for children. But if children belong to God, then parenting becomes an issue of helping them become followers of Jesus. And what's a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus is a person who listens to to Jesus and responds to Jesus to become like Jesus so as to partner with Jesus in the world. And why Jesus? Well, because he reveals God. Jesus says in John 14, 9, he says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. In Acts 17, 31, it says that God anointed Jesus to represent him, and he's proven that by raising him from the dead. God has proven that Jesus is his authorized representative by raising him from the dead. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is God's representative. But secondly, Jesus shows us that God is merciful toward us. Because he's dealt with the fundamental problem of humanity, which is alienation due to sin. But third, in terms of why Jesus, to model your life on Jesus is to choose the one person whose entire life was designed to show us what it looks like to be truly human. If you're looking around at at Facebook, social media, celebrity culture, to find out what does it look like to be human, that is an illusion. That is not the real thing. Only in Jesus do you find what it looks like to be truly human. One theologian put it this way, true humanity can only be discovered in Jesus. One of the biggest tragedies would be to spend your whole life just kind of trafficking lightly in Christianity by going to church occasionally and to never really fully realize who Jesus is and to not really let Jesus impact your life so that you could become more fully human as, you, as you've been designed to be. So when you make this shift, viewing the person as belonging to God, relating as someone who comes alongside to help disciple children to follow Jesus, one more important shift occurs. And here's this shift. Your framework moves from bounded set to centered set. Moves from bounded set to centered set. Now what am I talking about? Well, this language, and there's the image of bounded set, this language comes from Paul Hebert, who was a missiologist in the 1970s. Bounded set is about boundaries. It's about who's in and who's out. In terms of Christianity, a bounded set is about believing the right things. It's about practicing the right behaviors. And it's easy to default to this mode as a parent, especially as a Christian parent. Because you want to make sure that your child is in. Inside the boundary. Inside the circle. And so what I see with Christian parents is a tremendous emphasis on getting their kids to pray a prayer and then making sure they stay in the circle with right behavior. That's a bounded set way of parenting. And I also see, and over the years I've seen this as well, that this also produces a lot of expectations that I think that our teachers feel, teachers, educators in the larger society, as well as, as youth workers in the church and pastors in churches, and that is that I want you to make sure that my kid is in and stays in. And here's one other piece, and this is probably going to, um, this might upset some people, so I'm giving you the warning. All right? I know it, so I have some self-awareness about this comment. I also see, my observation has been over the years with people who are professing Christians, that it's a lot easier to function with a bounded set because if you can get your kid in based upon what you determine is in, then it frees you up to just live the way you want after that. Because after all, and I've had parents tell me this, my kid prayed a prayer. I don't know what happened. My kid prayed a prayer years ago. And now look at their life. I, I just know they're, they're okay because they prayed a prayer. And I want to say, well, well, what did you do? What was your life like? Did they see a compelling case for following Jesus in the way you lived your life? That's bounded set. Bounded set often frees parents from having to live a life that is compelling before their kids. Okay, so now I've just upset some people. Maybe you'll pay attention and see if I redeem myself. Here's the centered set. The centered set is about movement in a particular direction. In the kingdom of God, it's about movement toward Jesus rather than away from him and rather than pursuing self, a self-directed life. And a centered set still has boundaries, okay? Just to clarify, because the question is who you're moving for, toward, Jesus and not someone else, and which Jesus, the Jesus revealed in the Bible or the Jesus that, that, that I dictate is my Jesus, the Jesus I'm comfortable with, the Jesus that fits my lifestyle. In other words, there's content to the gospel, the kingdom that Jesus proclaims. So ultimately, there is a, there is a center. There is, there is boundaries to the centered set. So the question is how do you measure this for me? How do you measure this? Can you tell, how can you tell if anyone is moving toward the center? And again, I, the, the definition of a disciple, it's a person who listens in responds to Jesus to become like Jesus and partner with Jesus in the world. Those are the measuring sticks. In Matthew 22, Jesus says that it's about loving God and loving our neighbor. But having said that, just one final caveat, you cannot push your kids or anyone into the kingdom. You can only model something that perhaps can be compelling for them. And that's why we have more people involved in the children's lives here at Grace is to, to show them that there's, it's more than just parents. It's other people that are seeking to walk and follow Jesus. So here's my invitation and my challenge that I'd love for you to entertain in conversation. Here's my final question. In what part of your life can you be more intentional to allow God's kingdom to shape the way you live? I've chosen one area, and that's parenting as a a case study, but there are many others. And I've named some of those at the beginning. What I want to recommend is perhaps talking with someone and maybe asking them, how do you allow the kingdom of God to shape the way you live in, name it, finances, friendships, sex, dating, marriage, whatever it might be, and then have a conversation about that. See what they do. See what they do. I don't have the final word. I'm not professing to have the final word. I'm just trying to stimulate us to, to... to have a conversation about how might this really affect the way that we live.